This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Audible, the home of storytelling. Download the Audible app and start listening today. Hello and welcome to the June instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month we read Monica Heisey's debut novel. Really good, actually. The book is told through the eyes of Maggie, a 29-year-old whose marriage has just ended 608 days after it began. Sure, she's alone for the first time in her life, can't afford her rent, and her obscure PhD is going nowhere but she's really good. As Maggie throws herself headlong into the chaos of her first year of divorce, she finds herself questioning absolutely everything. My name is Michelle Andrews, and today I am joined by my marvellous book club co-host for the month, Shameless Media co-founder Zara McDonald. Hello. Hi. And content coordinator Sahani Gunatilika. Hello. How are we feeling about this book? About the book or the recording? Or both. <laughs> We're feeling good about the recording. <laughs> I think there might be some disagreement in this episode, but we always love that here at the Shameless Book Club. Shall we begin where we always do with a bit of an author intro? Sahani, who is Monica Heisey? Monica is a prolific writer, mm. but this is actually only her debut novel. So she's written in the likes of The Cut, The New Yorker, The New York Times, Vogue. There's a heap there. And she's also the screenwriter behind Schitt's Creek, Working Mums, and even Everything I Know About Love. She has so much on her resume, but I think you can tell, right? The writing in the book is strong. Yeah. The Schitt's Creek dot point on her resume. Mm. I couldn't believe that. She seems too young to have been on a show like Schitt's Creek that had all of the accolades it did. The Everything I Know About Love dot point is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's on her IMDb. Wow, because I read this and literally had down in my notes, this feels a lot like everything I know about love Mm. and I see a lot of Dolly Alderton, the author of that book, in this novel. I completely agree and I hate saying that sometimes because I think we do have a tendency and we've spoken about this on the show before to like lump female writers together and say, oh, so similar when they're not that similar. But I did find some of the turns of phrasing, Mm. uh, some of the the kind of the structure of jokes quite similar. And I love both of their styles. Like I loved the style of writing in this book for sure as a quick spoiler, but I definitely could draw those parallels. The other thing that didn't surprise me about Monica Heisey when I was doing my research is that she's been a stand-up comedian as well. Mm. And I think what is most fascinating for me and one of the reasons we really wanted to do this book is obviously it's about Maggie who goes through a divorce very young and Monica herself went through a divorce very young. She was 28. She told Entertainment Weekly this. I went through a divorce at a young age myself and it was quite isolating. Most of my peer group wasn't even married yet, so I didn't have anyone around me who could relate to what I was going through and I became so desperate to read or watch something about the experience. Mm. I do have to say I can't think of any other piece of content or art that has touched on divorce under 30. Not at no. all. She some of her interviews about this really saying true, I think, where she said the divorce experience is really only told through characters that are upwards of 40 years old, mm. right? I feel like Diane Keaton. She mentions yeah. that yeah. in her book. That's all I can think of. And I feel like when I've gone through like major like life events like a split, mm. I just try to find like media like this to tell me like what I'm feeling. Yeah. yeah. And I think props to her for being able to create the thing that she really wanted. I think that's also interesting that in a lot of the interviews I read with Monica upon this book being published is she was kind of conscious of saying that there were a lot of differences between her and Maggie. 
for example, Monica said she went to therapy like nonstop <laughs> after the divorce. As we know, it took Maggie a while to go to therapy. And The Guardian wrote about this. Maggie is a mess in a way that High C, thanks largely to therapy, was not. Mm. Wonder if it would be hard though having people make those connections because Maggie is a mess. Yeah. She actually also spoke about that to The Independent. I read one interview where she definitely communicated that she was quite frustrated that people were implying this was a memoir wrapped in like a fiction label with character names changed. She told The Independent, it's really limiting, she says, and a little bit tricky and rude. Being inspired by life is something that all artists have been doing forever. So to be like, well, isn't this sort of what happened to you? I think people rankle at that question because it's basically like, did you do anything creative here? And yeah, I did. Wow. Mm. Isn't that really interesting? I have a question for you both before we jump into our deeper analysis. Entertainment Weekly called this the anti-romantic comedy. Mm. <laughs> I don't agree with that. I don't agree either. I do agree with that. Why don't you guys agree? I think it's like a staple, like a romantic comedy. It, I would call it that. I feel like it's exactly a romantic comedy. But she doesn't end up with anyone. She ends up completely alone. Yeah, well... Depends on your reading of the ending. And I also think the whole book is about her relationships with love. Mm, So I would say even though at the end she is technically single, the whole thing is littered with romantic endeavours, be it the breakdown of them or the creation of them. How funny. I agree with that. That you guys disagree. I think that's the perfect description for this book. I saw it and I was like, I wonder what you guys think. (laughs) That's really interesting. I just feel like romantic comedy, the way I define it, is quite wide. Yeah, Yeah, but romantic comedy is often precipitated, almost always precipitated on that idea that the girl ends up with the guy and you know it essentially the whole time. Mm. You know when they have the meet cute. You know at the end but there's going to be. But we had all of that. But the mm. end of, I mean, maybe I had a profoundly different reading to the end of this novel. I read this, her choosing to essentially lock her iPhone instead of respond to the message and lie down in the public, like literally open air public and not respond to Simon as a clear indication. The dialogue was also saying, I know there'll be other Simons. If it's not this guy, there will be another guy. And her decision not to respond to him and lie down in the park, or I think it was a graveyard. (laughs) I completely disagree with your reading that she ended up with him. Oh, I'm not necessarily saying she definitely ended up with him. I think it's like two-pronged. There was an assumption that she was going to be with someone anyway, which I think Mm. is romantic comedy-like, that you know that there's going to be love in her life. And I think second to that, what we know of Maggie as a character over 360 or 70 pages made me feel like even if she was closing that phone, she was closing it for like a month. Interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just didn't trust that she was going to be by herself for a very yeah. long time. That's so I agree. funny because I felt like there was so much character <laughs> development that the Maggie of the first 100 and maybe 250 pages would have responded in a week or a month. The Maggie of the final 50 had finally gone to a place where she wouldn't. Yeah, see, I don't agree with that. I don't either. I love how quickly we're jumping into this because we've gone straight to the ending before we've gone into the characters, but I love that we've done that. Look, before we get deeper into the book, let's pause right here. I want to hear your favourite and least favourite characters before we get any deeper into this novel. Zara, who did you love? Who did I love? I loved a few characters, I will be honest. I really liked Maris. I thought Mm. she was amazing and I think the inclusion of Maris as well as her friends Anessa and Betty was incredible. I really love reading about older women, particularly when they're not defined by romantic love. They're defined by companionship in a completely different way. 
And it makes me excited to get older because there's this yeah. like no nonsense attitude that you can have and get away with a bit more. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree. I liked how she called it the golden girls household. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really thought that was beautiful as well. And I thought Maris's relationship with Maggie was really nice as well. There was a lot of kindness, there was a lot of advice. And I really liked her character. I think the writer did a really good job of making me love Maris because when it got to the point where like she came to the wedding with her and she fell, I felt that very deeply. Like I was so angry at Maggie. I was like, you should feel guilty. Yeah, you should feel a lot of shame. I also Mm. felt like Maris was like so deeply resilient as a person and I found that really enjoyable to read. There was a passage on page 200 where Maris and Maggie were talking about healing and, you know, Maggie said something to her like, I'm practising all the self-care I can handle. And Maris scoffed and said, please, I don't mean your moon rocks or whatever you've done that got (laughs) oil all over everything down here. That is fine. So is the messaging. But at a certain point, it becomes running when most of moving on is just getting out of bed and plodding forward. Call it what you must, but you need to practice walking around and living life and being heartbroken at the same time, not in an exciting way where you're in the thrall of some new person or buying something outrageous or terrorizing Jiro, but in the way that you still have to go to work when you have a toothache. Yeah. I love her. I loved that. And I do have to say, and I don't want to be really stereotypical about this, but there is something really beautiful about the resilience of old people when they're talking to young people. Yes. When they're like, you are the center of your own world, but just get up and get on with things. Like we've seen much more than you have. Maris was such a sturdy character and presence in this book. Honestly, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about Maggie because half the time I found her to be extremely relatable. I found her to be charming and endearing. The other half of the time I found her so frustrating. I wanted to shake her by the shoulders and tell her to get her shit together. I was so frustrated at points in this book thinking you're a woman in your late 20s. Mm. How can you not get it together at this point in your life? How can you not acknowledge that you need to go to therapy? or that you, I don't know, just like basic administrative things. I was like, what are you doing? Like you have no direction. But what I loved was I feel like Monica Heisey did a great job of showing Maggie fine direction. And I found her more and more as the book went on as an endearing character more than a frustrating one. So, honey, did you like Maggie? I think I felt the same way as you. I felt like at times I found her so irritating, Mm. but then she is quite relatable as well. But I think she was relatable years past. Like I feel like I have evolved past that. So you saw maybe your 22-year-old self in the 29-year-old Maggie. Exactly. So I feel like I related to her and I felt like sorry for her in a past life. That is such a good way of putting it. It is a really good way of putting it. And I think perhaps that might have been Monica Heisey's point in that when Maggie had been with John for so long, she didn't have the opportunity Mm. to grow in the way that a lot of young people do. That said, I found her insufferable 100% of the time. Really? And I think that's why I didn't like. 100%? 100%. (gasps) I think that's why I really struggled with the book because I didn't care if there was self-development because I just didn't believe it or didn't find it to be authentic. And I still found that there were remnants of selfishness even in the redemption. Did you find Maggie to be very reminiscent of the protagonist in Everything I Know About Love, the TV show? I could not stop picturing her. It was like they were one and the same in my brain. Yeah, how interesting. I actually didn't make that parallel, Mm. but I certainly felt that about the TV show as well. I mean, here's the thing, right? There are a couple of passages I want to read to you both, if you'll allow me. <laughs> oh, please. Is it uh, about her being annoying? It's about her being annoying. <laughs> but the 
thing is, what I wanted to do is these passages are from later on in the book. The first one is from page 232. So we're talking, you know. Over halfway. More, more than halfway through, mm. where she, it was after that really awkward trivia night that mm. actually made me want to die. And she said, I checked the group chat, which had been quiet since trivia, a deviation from our usual routine, constant messaging all day long in a barely intelligible shared dialogue that set me on edge. Whenever I looked at the chat, a voice in the back of my head said, you are a bad friend and a worse person. And I thought, maybe, yeah, but had no meaningful ideas about how to fix that. That really frustrated me for, for someone to have at this point in the book a level of self-awareness that you're really letting people down but no idea and truthfully very little desire to fix it because if you wanted to fix it, you would. Mm. The second thing that actually blew – sorry. I've got She's to- covering her eyes for anyone who is wondering. <laughs> the second thing that blew my mind and I hated this exchange and I know you guys will feel the same. This was on 280 and this was sort of at the end apex of when everything was really, you know, going wrong is she was telling Amy, who, by the way, beautiful character, we'll get to her in a second, where Amy asks, why would it be harder for you? And she said, I don't know, because I have a critical mind, because I feel things very deeply, (laughs) because I can't just go to Tulum with 13 of my closest girlfriends and share a picture of a sunset with the caption, Te amo Mexico and magically feel better. Oh my God. Very, uh, we don't use the C word on this podcast, but that would describe that sentiment. There's a lot of self-pity there. I just But also patronising. Yeah. I don't know how much redemption can come from that with this character because that is truly what you believe. Even if you find a way to be better alone, even if you find a way to heal your heartbreak, the bottom line is you still think you're better than people and you still think you're smarter than people. It's default arrogance. Yeah. To say I'm not the kind of basic bitch, essentially, who can go on a little holiday with my girlfriends and post an Instagram photo and absolve myself of all bad feelings. It's also, dare I say, internalised misogyny. It is internalised misogyny. And I felt like that wasn't worked through in the book. What was worked through is her ability to be by herself and to heal, but none of the stuff that made her selfish. The last thing that I'm going to say really, really quickly. Yes, go for it. Because this was on page 325 and this was in the midst of her redemption. (laughs) Well, this is 50 pages before the book ends. No, you're making great points. I still like her, but you're really laying out a solid argument here. (laughs) Page 325, when we're meant to understand that she is, you know, living back with her dad and really like pulling her life back together. Fixing shit. I felt frazzled and anxious. That morning, Lauren had semi-subtly hinted that our couch-crashing arrangement was reaching its close. <laughs> oh, yeah. With okay. these friends <laughs> yeah. who you have really had a tough relationship with over the last year, mm. for you to be crashing on her couch and not have the self-awareness to realise that you're impinging on her space and you're meant to be in your redemption arc, yeah. I was like, sorry, not much is changing here. I'm not surprised you hated her as much as this, actually, now that you've laid it out, because <laughs> I think you really value self-awareness in people, Yeah, which I love about you, and this might be one of the most unself-aware fictional characters we've tackled in book club. I'm frustrated even mm. after reading this thing. Sarah's <laughs> <laughs> like hot under the collar. All right, Sahani. I was going to say that internalised misogyny is also present with the other character from work, Olivia. She's objectively just nice yeah. and like has good... I think she, like, focuses in on her fitness and, like, how she takes care of herself. And her relationship, like, getting married. She's excited to be engaged. So you're saying Maggie was displaying internalised misogyny in her relationship with Olivia. Yeah, exactly. In a very similar way to Amy. Dare I say Olivia and Amy uh, blurry around the edges kind of meshed into each other. Mm. Could have done away with Olivia quite easily. In fact, a couple of characters in this book didn't serve enough of a purpose. I could have done with one Lauren. I agree with you, Olivia. I could have really seen them apart. Why was there a Lauren? 
Lauren and an emotional Lauren. Emotional Lauren was fine. I actually think that served a purpose. We could have called her emotional Lauren. I can't think about who the other Lauren Mm. was or what made her her, apart from the fact she was drier than emotional Lauren. I think the reason she included Olivia, though, was to show that it's in all aspects of her life that she's like this. Mm. Yeah, good point. Like across work, across social life. The thing about a Lauren and emotional Lauren, and this is like such a niche point, but... I get the fact that emotional Lauren was easier to understand because she had a literal adjective at the top of her nickname. But I can't think of a scenario in life where the nickname for someone is like angry Michelle. Mm, like you're like true. bitchy, actually. Yes, it's really bitchy. Also, if you've got two friends with the same name, you're not calling one of them emotional Lauren. It's too long of a nickname. No. You're calling one Lozzie and yeah. one Lauren. Or you're using their surname. We've got a yeah. uh, Ree in the office mm. has two best friends by the same name and they just get double named. Yes, mm. exactly. About either one. But it's just not a realistic nickname. No. Yeah. I want to hear so much more about the characters you loved and didn't love because I have... A few more that I am desperate to talk about, but we're going to do that after the break. Mish, the listeners are well aware that we are very enthusiastic readers, which is why we are so excited to be welcoming back our mates at Audible. We have listened to many audiobooks over the years and love going about our day with an incredible story in our ears. Absolutely. Listening to audiobooks is so convenient if the book is on the longer side and you don't have all the time in the world to sit down and take it in. I totally agree. The Palace Papers is a whopping 592 (laughs) pages. So I chose to listen to it instead and it was so brilliantly narrated by the author herself, Tina Brown. I love that. Sometimes when the book is non-fiction in particular, like a memoir, the authors themselves choose to narrate their own stories. I absolutely love that because I find hearing someone tell their own story is such an intimate experience. Yeah, for sure. One memoir I know we both loved was Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mum Died. Jeanette's narration really adds to her powerful story because you can hear everything in the tone in which she intended it. Yeah, if memoirs or non-fiction are not your thing, Audible also has an extensive fiction collection in their library. So if you're in need of some hands-free entertainment while cooking or cleaning or going for a walk, start listening on Audible today. Download the Audible app to browse their audiobooks, podcasts and Audible originals when you download the Audible app and start listening today. Thank you so much to Audible for making this episode of Shameless possible. Okay, guys, John, the ex-husband, I am torn in that. Is he a character? (laughs) He was so much and he wanted more, right? I feel like I really enjoyed this book. I feel like I did yearn for more of an explanation, though, as to what exactly went wrong. We got a lot of the beautiful stuff about their relationship, like the funny little in-jokes they had and the fact they used to call their bed the restaurant. And, like, there were little tidbits that made me really love the bond they shared. And I had a big grey question mark over the divorce itself. Like, she kept saying nothing cataclysmic happened. It just wasn't working. But I, I didn't feel like I got an adequate explanation as to what had gone so rotten. I think we were supposed to feel his absence because I was turning the pages wondering if he'd pop up. And then when he finally did at the end, I was so shocked. But I didn't even need him in the present sense. 
When we were getting flashbacks of the relationship, I wanted to understand why they split. Yeah, I do agree. I kind of agree with both of you. I think it kind of worked in a pretty powerful way that he just wasn't there. Mm. But that said, the really nosy part of me needed Mm. to understand more. On the topic or the conversation that you had of there being too many characters, there were so many fucking characters that when John was spotted on the bus at the end with Janet, I thought it was like an old friend. Not the cat. The cat could have had a more cat-like name, but I think it was part of the witty, of course, we'd call our cat Janet. We're so funny. Yeah, I also think, so my two favourite characters of the whole book, one was Amy. I just thought she was fun and I think she's a really classic kind of character that people constantly underestimate both in fiction and in real life. Agree. Like Mm. the person who doesn't take themselves too seriously, but everybody else doesn't take them seriously as a result, but there's real grit there. And I love those kinds of people. Well, Mm. she was so much more resilient. Yes. She had been through the exact same thing as Maggie. And yeah, you could look at her and go, oh, what a like sad woman or like so earnest, takes herself so seriously or like, I don't know, so sugary in parts. She dealt with the same situation Mm. so much better. Yeah. And then the other character that I really loved was Amira. Yeah, I I loved Amira. I thought she was tough on Maggie in a way that a perfect friend should Mm. be. Agree. That tough love is incredibly authentic to me because it's deeply uncomfortable, but it's really important. Mm -hmm. Like she was the first person to give Maggie the impression that something was awry Mm. and that they weren't happy with her. But she was also the first person to envelop her in love at the end. Agree. Like her other friends, I felt kind of like a bit weak bitchy. Like Mm -hmm. none of them would acknowledge that they're annoyed. And then at the end, when it was time to like give her a bit of love, they kind of gave a bit of nothing. Was that Colin? See, I could have done away with him. That's but, the thing. But too why many. was there another C friend who she slept with? That no, was, no, that was the Calvin. Best, that was Calvin. Calvin. Sorry. The best friend yeah. of John. John. Yes. Calvin and what? Clive. Calvin and Clive. Calvin, Calvin isn't a friend. No, I know, but still, why character names so similar? Calvin mm. should have stayed. Clive served no purpose, gave us nothing at the end. Every time he rocked up, I'm like, are you the guy she fucked? And no, you're not. You're the, the friend who is... On Grindr a lot? Want to speak a lot about Grindr? Yeah, I think so. I think the purpose of having that group chat of friends, though, is to show that, like, Amira and her are, like, because you know how you have your group of friends and you're closer with one person? Mm. I think for her that's Amira. And then everyone else is, like, trying to do the best that they can with the friend that's a bit self-absorbed with her divorce at the time. I don't think it landed. I don't think it landed as well as it could. Again, I liked it, but we could have easily done away with three or four characters in this book. I have a very niche character, though, want to pull out and attack. Yes. Mm. So on page 164 to like 167, 68, we met the girl at the clothes shop. She was just a shop attendant. (laughs) Maggie had chucked all of her old clothes in a bag and wanted to sell them to make some extra money. The way the woman working in the store was written was so unbelievable (laughs) and annoying Mm. to me. In fact, this entire part of the book really pulled me out of the experience and made me, instead of being immersed in the storyline, question why the author had put this in at all. Can I read you some of the dialogue from this section of the book? Mm -hmm. You may. Okay. Excuse me, ma'am. Can you also take this? 
The woman was holding up a t-shirt the Lawrence had made for my bachelorette party, featuring my face photoshopped onto a sexy undead body wearing a wedding dress. Above me, they'd scrawled in Sharpie, Mag's Bachelorette 2016, and beneath, Last Dick Ever. My zombie hand was holding a severed penis. It was inside out before, and now that I see it, I mean, realistically speaking, we probably can't sell something so crude, she told me. Like on the back it says R.I.P., but the R stands for... Rim in peace. Yeah, I said quickly. It's not serious. Then I'm zooming forward a little bit to the next page. The woman behind the counter looked confused. The shirt says 2016. How long were you married? Like five seconds, basically, I said, too high and too quickly. Thank you for asking. No need to get defensive, she said, busying herself in a pile of old bathing suits. To avoid yelling at her, I refocused on Simon. He looked curious, but not angry. He looked kind. I don't know why I didn't tell you, I said. So <laughs> I this forgot entire Simon. scene, like not only does Simon happen to walk into a vintage fashion store <laughs> while her bachelorette shirt is being held up by the shopping attendant, the attendant is also questioning how long she was married for. I cannot, sorry, accept that this scene would ever happen in any realm in any lifetime. This is why it's a romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Sahani's right. right. <laughs> Sahani. Also, we haven't spoken about Simon just very quickly. I really liked him. I liked him too. And it made me despise Maggie even more mm. how, how mean she was to him. Mm. I think it's fine in a relationship to project some of your insecurities onto your partner. I think that's really human and very natural. Mm. Firstly, they weren't even partners yet. She refused to properly date him. And there was this exchange where she texted him and she was like, why do you even like me? And he goes like, because you're beautiful and la 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 and goes on this big thing. And then she kind of goes back to him and is a bit snarky and he Mm. he puts his foot down and he's like, no, you're amazing. And then she just like liked the message and closed the phone. Mm. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You've gone and projected all of these insecurities on him. And when he's validated you, you're like, all right, that's it. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. I just... Maggie. You're not jelling. Maggie, Maggie. You're not jelling. No, not at all. Are we ready to move on to strengths and weaknesses overall? We are. I will begin with one. I genuinely chuckled at some lines in this book Mm. and I can't remember the last time a book made me laugh out loud. I'm not saying like raucous hysterical laughter, but I chuckled audibly for sure. The dark humour at points, particularly when Maggie was discussing her own eating disorder with her psychologist. Like there were so many joyful lines in this book that were purely witty. I agree. This was some of the funnier writing that I've read. And Sahani, I feel like when we were talking about this, I know we're not allowed to talk about the book before we record it. (laughs) Michelle wasn't in the office and we had a really quick chat. You guys broke the rules. I know. Sorry, betrayal. (laughs) But Sahani, you said to me, like, have you watched Shit's Creek? Because it reminded you a lot of the tone in Shit's Creek. Mm. Uh, Have you guys watched Shit's Creek? Yeah, I have. And I love the humor in Shit's Creek. Yeah. So the mum in particular, I feel like was a vibe in this book. Mm, Um, Moira. (laughs) Moira was through this book for sure. And yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Like in terms of the balance between something comical and funny with parts that are quite serious about Mm. a breakup I thought it executed that really well she covers like almost every cliche that happens during a breakup like the playing Kate Bush really loudly the Instagram stalking on your pets account Mm. and they're all like not that serious but then she also delves into like the heartbreaking part of it as well which I thought was like really executed well I do agree I think she did 
write about heartbreak pretty well. I mean, she said this to The Guardian, heartbreak is this weird thing where it feels like the end of the world. It's emotionally devastating, but equally it's a fairly mundane experience. Not an everyday experience, but a multiple times in your life experience. And you know that you're going to get through it. It is such a funny experience because it's like, it's so individual and you feel like you're the only person in the world that's ever experiencing this. And I thought she did that really well. And there was this passage at the very end of the book, Mish, I think you touched on it earlier that I thought was really beautifully written when it comes to when you're thinking back on a relationship that was complicated. And she said, during my marriage, I had taken to calling our bed the restaurant because I liked eating in there so much. John thought this was disgusting and appointed himself city councillor, always trying to shut the restaurant down for health code violations <laughs> like crumbs or spills. As time passed, I knew little details like this would fade from my memory. I would fixate less often on our relationship and the low-grade horror of its ending. One day, I would climb into bed with a sandwich and think, I used to have a name for this and not know what it was. Mm. I sighed at the thought of all the unsexy time ahead, nights in with my thoughts and feelings, earnest efforts at knowing and possibly uh, loving myself, the utter hassle and enormous privilege of deciding what I wanted to do with my life, my weekends, my heart. I thought that last line as well, like the utter hassle and enormous privilege because Mm. it is two-pronged, but I thought that was really beautifully written. Yeah, I think the writing was so sparkly and joyful. I just think it was a massive strength. Can I have one other strength, please? Yeah, you can have it. <laughs> the, I know we touched on it briefly, this scene where Maris fell down the stairs at the wedding. Mm. I feel like the cadence of that part of the book, the build up to the wedding with her live tweeting, her drunkenness, the failed threesome in the bathroom, <laughs> the, the argument with Amy, and then of course them running. When she was describing running through through the wedding, I thought she's going to fall and break her leg and she's going to end up in hospital and that will be the big mea culpa that makes her, I don't know, will be that point where she has to change and pivot and go in a new direction. The fact that it was Maris was actually a far stronger Mm. narrative arc and I was really happy that the author took it there. I felt so much, I think this was the real highlight of the book, this point, If only it had come a little earlier, I think we could have chopped at least 75 pages before that. Mm. Yes, 1,000%. Sorry, I just turned my strength into a weakness. (laughs) (laughs) I've got one more strength. So it's kind of to do with heartbreak, but it was more about like the way she talked about depression and specifically apathy Mm. because I like I haven't read this in a book before, but like I really saw myself in it. And I like I like learned years ago that like long term anxiety can like warp into depression Mm. because it's just easier. It's sort of like a coping mechanism. It's easier to not feel anything when you feel so much. Yeah. Yeah. And there were passages in the beginning. She was saying on page 37, the old me might have worried this would make people hate me. In the past, I was worried about basically everything, basically all the time. Now my constant low-level anxiety was replaced by a feeling of dull invincibility. I refer to as haha, so what? And then in a later passage, she said, I felt pleasantly disconnected from everything around me as though observing life underwater, which allowed me to take my time before responding to stresses and to fret less about the things that were ultimately insignificant. Mm. But then in response to that, Lauren just says politely, isn't that like exactly how people describe <laughs> yeah, depression? I thought that was beautifully put together. Yeah. yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Like that passage on page 37 where she said, like, I used to worry about everything all the time. 
and now I don't worry about anything at all because I don't feel anything. Mm. I think a lot of people can relate to that when you find yourself in like a complete pit of despair Mm. and apathy does tend to take over. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. Beautiful parts of this book, beautiful (laughs) writing Go on, Go then. on. <laughs> I did enjoy the experience of reading it. I think we absolutely need to talk about the fantasy on page no, 129. Can we not? <laughs> or do we ignore it? I have secondhand embarrassment. Mind? Oh, my God. The Harry Styles. The Harry Styles <laughs> thing. Oh. Page 129 where yes, yes, yes. she imagines that she's bumping into John and then, like, oh. Harry Styles is there. This is I just want to curl up. Like, did you guys really cringe at this? I thought, did you yeah. Not? I didn't really care. I was oh. like, yeah, whatever. It was a little cliched, but I was like, yeah. I had anger. Why? Because I thought it was so cringe and cliche and it didn't need to be there. It didn't add to the plot. It added right. to nothing. I do, I do get that. This is how it was written. I turn at the same time John does. We both see the man immediately. <laughs> Can't miss him. Because of the crowd that's formed, he runs towards us in his massive experimental trousers, smiling and waving. There she is, says Harry Styles, <laughs> slipping a stylish tattoo arm around my waist. John clocks it immediately. Our easy intimacy, the flush of my cheeks. I feel a flicker of compassion for the man who was once my husband. I want to ask Harry Styles to be less familiar, to show some respect for the awkward situation. I want to say, Harry Styles, please. Am I really cringe? I don't hate that at no, all. I hate it so much. I hated it. And that it's too obvious? Too obvious. As far as like, where do I begin? <laughs> of all the superstars to pick, like Harry Styles, it just felt a bit pathetic. Oh, <laughs> sorry, is that me? That's why I whispered it. Maybe I too am pathetic. <laughs> and look, don't get me wrong, we all have fantasies. Well, you love Harry Styles. I love <laughs> Harry Styles. I'm getting so confused. I agree. We all have fantasies. So, to be honest, there was a, an element of realism about this mm. compared to some of the other parts of the book. But I just, I think I felt embarrassed on her behalf and I hated mm. the inclusion. Right. I agree. How interesting. I have another weakness. Yes. Bring to the table. This might feel like nitpicking, but I just think these kinds of things are important. This book was set in 2018 and the beginning of 2019, right? There is a passage that talks about how all of Maggie's friends are posting videos to TikTok. (laughs) That was really annoying to me because our generation, and I say this as a 29-year-old woman, so I feel like I've got skin in the game. Oh, yeah were not on TikTok in 2018 or 2019. I didn't even know what TikTok was until the end of 2019. (laughs) We got on TikTok. It was like exclusively 12-year-olds until the pandemic in 2020. Easily. 1,000%. That's a very good point. Like I read that line and I was like, that's written as if it's in 2023 and it's not. This was five years ago. And if you would ask me what's TikTok, I called it Tic Tac once in 2019. And I would say we are very into culture. It's our whole job to be into culture. So things like that, I was like, that's not the timeline. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) I feel like you're also a bit more attuned to these things (laughs) considering you do social. Yeah, I know. So true. (laughs) But I probably should have picked up on that as well. Yeah, you are in social. I didn't pick up on it, but I should have for sure. There was this interesting point towards the end of the book where Helen, the therapist, was writing notes about Maggie And she was saying, you know, she's starting to see the joy in the mundane parts of life. And then Maggie had this quote at the end of the chapter, which was that life did feel mundane. Everything just kept happening. And I read that line and and literally laughed out loud because I was like, that's exactly what I feel about this book. (laughs) Everything (laughs) felt mundane. Like everything just kept happening. Like it felt for me, there was 
barely much plot and not huge amounts of character development that I found necessarily fulfilling. And I just didn't care enough. I totally agree with that. And I can't, I can't explain the feeling that I have when I consider this book, but I will try beyond it being like this unimpactful blur. Is that too harsh? (laughs) No, I just love hearing your different take on this. Every plot point like when something happened, it felt like a tiny drop in the ocean. Like it didn't have much power to it. Didn't pack a punch. No, like everything just felt like. Like a bit rambly. Because that's yeah. how I felt about like li- listening to her monologue. I felt like I could skim sections and not feel stressed. Interesting. Oh. You probably could. Not like there wasn't enough meat per se in the plot I understand. Yeah. I do really disagree though when you say there wasn't enough character development. I feel like, again, 80, 80 to 100 pages could have been removed from the middle section of the book before the wedding. I do feel like there was sufficient character development for sure at the end. I really loved Maggie's observation of herself towards the end of this book that she was basically incapable of having a thought and not sharing it with everyone around her. <laughs> 100%. I know this is very eager, like this is very navel gazy of me. I just saw so much of myself in that where I, I struggled to not feel self-conscious when I finished that part of the book because I'm like, that is me. In fairness, I think in this line of work, it's a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't know if you go into media and content and not want to share everything yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, I sure. definitely was like, I constantly laugh and my mum and I laugh together about this is like, I feel like everything we ever think comes out of our mouths. Yeah. And it's a funny trait, but I, I related to it. But Everything I is content. <laughs> I also don't think it's like a shameful thing. I also think it's like a really beautiful part of personality, to be honest, when it's just like you're excited about stuff and you just want to talk about it. It reminds me of that meme where it's like I so desperately want to be mysterious, but I cannot shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, 1,000%. <laughs> One question I have for you guys. Yes. How did you feel about like the structural devices which were kind of breaking up the chapters where it was oh. Google searches, stuff people say to her, Sahani, you clearly I got I loved thoughts. it. Yeah. <laughs> My favourite part was devastating things that my therapist said or something. That was so funny. I thought that was really clever. I reckon 70% of them were really good. I was about to say the same. I thought the Google searches got really repetitive. Yeah. Google searches should have been done once. Once. It was really funny the first time I read it and I think just like less is more sometimes with that stuff. We got the gist. That's the whole book though. I feel it's so repetitive just generally. Like like you said, a lot of it could have been cut out Mm. and I just like because it communicated the same thing. I was just like, why am I reading this again? What I found really clever was like the birthday messages. I thought they were amazing in dispersing yeah. like the marketing ones with like the one yeah. from the grandma, which I thought was just so like perfectly written. Yes. Yes. And then the, to be honest, what I was really impressed by was really early in the book about that sort of Japanese, you know, theory of like the plate yes. breaking and burning put back together yes. and the many different ways people brought it up with her, but it came up in different parts of yeah, the conversation. Yeah, that was really clever. The way that those things were structured, I was like, she's a very, very clever writer. Very creative Completely. as well. Can I have one more weakness? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I did not like the little story. Again, it was these little tiny storylines like the clothing shop and then the burger place that just kind of drove me up the wall when she was ordering those burgers and then found out the delivery partner oh calls at 4am whenever you get delivery to a number attached to your account. That is not believable. Also just change the number. (laughs) But in what world? It would have been more believable if she said, I didn't realise his number got a text every time a delivery had been made or a receipt came through. That would have been just as successful in communicating that he knew about her burgers as if he's on the phone at 4am to a burger guy every week or every night. Yeah. Sorry, I know that's so niche, but the little thing. <laughs> I wasn't annoyed by that, to be honest. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> But it's funny that you are. <laughs> All right. 
Should we get to our ratings? I'm going to make you both go before me because I'm honestly going to struggle to come to a clear rating in my mind. Sahani, what are we giving? Really good, actually, out of five. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Interesting. Nice. That's like a solid. Yeah. Any yeah. accompanying commentary or you want to leave it at that? No, I'll leave it at that. I say more. We've been here for 40 minutes. Sarah. I'm going to give it a two. Yep. Yeah. I think I, that adds up. I, I had to give myself page deadlines. I had to read 50 pages a night for like mm. however many nights to get through this book. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. I was the opposite. I looked forward to reading this despite its weaknesses, of which I acknowledge. I still enjoyed it. I don't know what it is. This is like, this book is the friend that you know you shouldn't be friends with, but you really fucking like yeah. anyway. Soft spot. I, yeah. I have a soft spot for this book and I'm willing to overlook the numerous weaknesses because I just enjoyed it and I flew. Like, I remember. Give us the rating. <laughs> <laughs> I think it has to be your Four. Fair enough. Fair it's enough. a four, and I would recommend it to anyone who wants something light and easy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Mind you, you didn't think it was light or easy at all. <laughs> I found it real slow. <laughs> but I, I really have to acknowledge, I also do think Monica Heisey is very talented in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guys, that is all for the June installment of The Shameless Book Club. Next month, we're reading Yellow Face by R.F. Kwong. We are particularly excited about this one. Zara, you have actually just finished reading yellow face as you said in our Thursday episode and you think it might be one of the biggest and most respected books of 2023. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those books that has its moment. You know, those books that have their moment. This has to be it. Shall I give you a little teaser? Please. Athena Liu is a literary darling and June Haywood is literally nobody. When Athena dies in a freak accident, June steals her unpublished manuscript and publishes it as her own under the ambiguous name Juniper Song. But as evidence threatens June's stolen success, she will discover exactly how far she will go to keep what she thinks she deserves. What happens next is entirely everybody else's fault. That sounds so good. Guys, get your hands on Yellowface now and read along with us in July. Also, make sure you come and join in the chat about today's book review episode. We are on socials at The Shameless Book Club on Instagram and TikTok. That's all from us. Bye. Bye. media this podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land always was always will be aboriginal land hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time we're so grateful if you enjoy the stuff that we produce may i recommend our brand new podcast style ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen, give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.